In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing the 2012 World Changers Church shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, The 2012 World Changers Church Shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible as we always do. This one is Proverbs 26, 18, and it reads like this. As a madman who catheth firebrands, arrows, and death. So this in particular shooting has to deal with an extremely mentally disturbed individual, a madman to use the Bible's words, somebody who is completely unregulated as far as counseling, as far as medication, and of course there was a deadly result. So let's get into this. Um, it was a Wednesday morning, October 24, 2012. The daily um, um, morning prayer service had started at 10 a.m. in the worship hall with about 20 to 25 people present. Most um, were staff of the World Changers Church International. Uh, Greg McDonald was leading the service, walking back and forth on the platform, praying out loud. A man dressed in a suit and tie came in. No one in the foyer of this building took any special notice because he was familiar to them. He had been a custodian there. He entered the worship hall, walked to the platform. Most people had their eyes closed, but not for much longer. When the man reached the platform, he didn't say anything. He took out a handgun and began calmly firing. Twelve shots hit McDonald, killing him. A woman shouted, why are you still shooting? He's already down. The shooter didn't answer her. He just walked out, got into his car, and left. Later that day, the shooter was spotted at a mall. Mall security called police, who came and arrested him peacefully in Macy's. It turns out that he was at the mall trying to turn himself into mall guards. Um, they thought he was just crazy until somebody realized he fit the description of the church shooter. This was actually his second attempt to turn himself in. He had been turned away from the police station as a nutcase. So the killer was a paranoid schizophrenic. 11, uh, 11 years earlier, um, he, had been, he had shot and wounded a former co-worker in Baltimore. He underwent mental health treatment for a year and a half after pleading guilty to assault with a deadly weapon. Sometime after this, the man moved to Atlanta area and became a custodial at the WCCI. Um, at, the, at the time of the shooting, even though he had been a custodian, he had actually quit or was fired. It's unclear of the information. In the previous shooting that happened in Baltimore, um, the assailant had, um, had been a security guard for a mosque. Um, he had talked to, about Islam with another guard, which led his co-worker to convert him to Islam. He left that job, but came back later to see the guard, um, his buddy. Um, they began arguing about something. A few days later, he came back and shot the guard from across the street. 
the motive for killing um, from from the killing and even that shooter was just straight up paranoia. He was paranoid schizophrenic. Um, he thought that McDowell was out to get him. Um, we don't know why he thought that, other than it's his own mental illness. Things, you know, thoughts, ideas just kind of bubble up, and there's not always anything to support it. Um, all right, so it. Let's see. The aftermath of the, the shooter was found guilty, but insane, and sentenced to life in a mental institution. Um, this killing um, did not deter its members from attending church. Blah blah blah, all that good stuff. So basically, what you have is somebody that I mean, if you just think about the details of it, he's a former employee. He shows up during the prayer service, you know, probably before the regular service. He walks in, he's wearing a suit and tie, he's dressed nicely. He walks in, walks through the lobby, goes into the sanctuary or the prayer room, whatever they called it, and he walks right up to the stage. Nobody looks at him. They're praying, their heads are bowed. Um, he pulls out a gun and unloads it on the pastor and then calmly walks out. And so one of the things that really kind of stuck out to me, the first thing that really stuck out to me is this. We need to be doing background checks on all of our employees. We know, need to know who they are, what their past is, especially in this case, if they would have run a criminal history check on him, they would have found out that he had shot a guard, one of his coworkers from a previous job, they would have probably learned about his mental illness. And while he still could have been hired as a custodian, he should have at least been made, um, a warning should have been given to the safety ministry that he's there and he's got violence in his past and he's got mental illness in his past. And so we can still give him the second shot of you know being a custodian. Um, but at the same time, the safety team needs to be aware of him. We've talked about this a little bit in the past of what I, I haven't quite coined a term yet, but it's intentional ministering to hurting people. And the idea behind this is number one, um, we want, we want um, ministry leaders, we want department leaders to be encouraged to notify the pastor or the you know ministerial team that there are people that lost their job or maybe they have mental illness or maybe they're a recovering alcoholic or drug addict maybe they have maybe they've what you know maybe they're going through some domestic issues you know they're going through a divorce or a custody battle or you know all the other kind of problems that all of us can experience at some point in our life and the idea is, is all these directors, these ministry leaders, all that kind of stuff, they report that to the pastor. And so that way the pastor can put very real plans together to minister to these people. Now that does two things. Number one, that's kind of the whole point of the church, right? Is we're supposed to be ministering to hurting people. Um, and we don't want people to slip through the cracks, you know. And so this is just a really good way of taking care of those people. But what it also does is um, it it's helps eliminate, to some degree, it helps reduce the risk of somebody becoming disruptive or potentially violent or violent. You know, because they're being served there. They're being taken care of there. Now, I get it's not 100%, and we're not shooting for 100%. 
This is just one of those steps we can take to reduce it. And then the next thing is keeping the safety team informed of what's going on with different people at the church. Now I get there's a pastoral protection, you know, confidentiality type, uh, you know, deal going on. I get that. And that's why I've said many times in the past, the pastor could at least tell the safety team members that, hey, somebody is going through a custody battle right now. And I can't tell you anything more than that. Good, I can work with that, right? It's like, okay, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna post a guard over there. We're gonna make sure we're doing our check-in, check-out procedures better than ever and all that good stuff. If they can give us more information, like, hey, you know, this guy who's committed assault in the past, he has mental illness, and uh, we just had to let him go from his custodial position. And this is what he looks like, or this is the guy. I mean, you probably knew him if he was a custodian. Safety team members may have even known who he was. And so if we can get more information, we need more information. And I would say, and I would encourage pastors and ministry leaders, the, more, the higher the risk of potential violence is, the more important it is for you to report that to the safety team so they can take action and they can put a plan together. Because once again, what you have is you have competing goals. On the one part, you have that confidentiality. I get that, I understand that, and that's important. But when they're potentially violent, what you're doing is you're protecting that one person, their confidentiality, against all the other people that could be hurt and killed in an active shooter at attack. So you, can, you have to decide that, you have to wrestle with that. And so I just wanna encourage you pastors to measure that carefully and let the safety team members know when they need to know stuff. Okay, so getting back, background checks for all employees and volunteers to learn that kind of stuff. Um, my other point was um, a gun is not enough. And I know that's gonna offend some of you. You know, I know there's a lot of you that you have your firearm, that's great. You go to church, you're prepared. Maybe you show up early, maybe you stay late whatever, you're there, and if something starts to happen, um, you're ready. And maybe you're so good, you know, you can shoot a flea off a dog's back, perfect. That's awesome. But can you see how in this situation, that's not enough? The pastor was already falling backwards by the time you cleared leather. It's already over, and then he walks out. He stopped using deadly force. Now, and so it's hard to say, I know there's a hundred factors in this. Once a person stops deadly force, it's very ambigu ambiguous legally to use deadly force against them. So he's walking out, is his gun in his hand? I don't know, did he reholster? Did he throw the gun? It doesn't say here, but depending on the scenario, you just can't shoot him in the back. Plus, you didn't really save anyone. The pastor that was his target, is already dead. So you need more than just the gun. You need situational awareness. You need to be paying attention to what's going on, who's coming in, who's going out. You know, when people are praying in the sanctuary, I suggest you pray at home a lot. And then when prayers are going on in church, your head is up and your, your neck, you know, you're looking around, your eyes are going back and forth, you're paying attention. If everyone's got their heads down and there's a guy walking down the aisle making a beeline for the pastor, 
that's weird. Something's going on here. Something, it's a violation of social norms. And that's somebody you're watching. Now, if he starts pulling a gun, since you didn't have your head bowed and you have that situational awareness, maybe you can beat him to the, beat, beat him to the draw. Maybe you could beat him. Who knows? Um, situational awareness, violating social norms, intelligence gathering. I already kind of talked about that. That's the whole point of having these, this intentional ministering to hurting people. It's that intelligence gathering. If you knew about this guy and you've been watching for him and somebody on your team says, hey, he just came in through the lobby and you're in the sanctuary, now you're really alert, right? Now we're at that code orange where we talk about in our tra training. You're at that elevated, I'm, I'm sorry, not code orange, um, just that orange level, the Cooper's code. You're at that elevated level now, right? Now you're really watching for him. And now he comes in and everyone's got their head bowed and he's just walking beeline. You can see how that intelligence would have helped, that situational helped. As soon as that hand went into that coat, you'd be clearing leather, I'm sure to stop the killing. Um, the other thing is this, is before and after, um, we have to patrol more than just during the services. We have to, so this was a prayer meeting before the services started. And so safety team needs to cover that. You know, you should really examine what your workday looks like when services are going on. How much sooner do you need to be there? How much later do you need to stay? because there's a lot of things going on. I think about my former church when, um, you know, very, very early in the morning, the worship team showed up. I decided we didn't need to do show up when they showed up just because um, I encouraged them and spot checked occasionally to make sure that they were keeping all the doors locked. They weren't propping a door for other people. And that's good. And that's fine. They didn't, they didn't need us for that. But as soon as other people start showing up, the childcare volunteers, you know, the door greeters and stuff like that, that's about the time I felt like the safety team should show up. And that was typically as much as an hour before the service. So I'll give you a little idea. You have to examine your own routine, your church's own pattern of things and figure out what those things are gonna be. So that's basically it. This is a lot like the one we did last month where the the killer came in he he shot a you know came in the guy that he wanted to kill was standing at the doors handing out brochures he walked in turned around pulled the gun out shot him in the back of the head and then ran out these things can happen so quickly so fast and so we have to be above ready we need to be heavy situationally aware we need to look for people violating social boundaries and we need to have intelligence gathering we need to know the people that are coming and going the best we can so if you like this video please like share all that good stuff subscribe comment all that good stuff. You know, I'd like to get a dialogue going on some of this stuff with you guys. What are you thinking when you hear about what happened here and you're thinking about your own church? You know, what is what what changes might you make or, you know, what's the big takeaways for you? Please comment bef below and we'll have a conversation. So anyway, thank you so much for tuning in and hey, let's be careful out there.
This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.